got in trouble. I uh, went to Troy, Athens, and then by God's grace, um, there, there's a part of it. I wanted to get out of the public school pretty badly, and if any of you have ever been in the public school and, and that type of a setting, it, at times it was, uh, I think the, the scripture says it can, it can vex the righteous soul, and at times it did. So God, God saw fit my last year and a half to be able to transfer over to Bethany Christian and actually graduate from there, uh, and it was, uh, it was quite the blessing. To do that, as uh, Pastor Elward said, I have four children. My, my wife Carrie and I have been married for almost 20 years now, a little over 19. We just celebrated our 19th anniversary. I've got a, a senior in high school, a junior, an eighth grader, and then a fifth grader. Uh, three boys, and then and then the little girl, uh, which uh, certainly adds the spice to life. That's that's for sure. So uh, this morning we went through. Uh, my, my design was to be able to look at two different aspects of love, and that is the, the central commandments inside of the scriptures, to love God and then to love our neighbor as ourselves. So this morning, we looked at our love for God really being rooted in our regeneration, and that is God has, has made us alive. He has given us new birth. And because of that, I can have genuine love. Now, one question comes in, can can an unbeliever actually love? I think that they can to a, to a certain extent. Um, common grace is very powerful. God giving grace to people. They can show affection. They can do things for other people. But ultimately, uh, when, when a person loves, if it's not, if the foundation is not God, then that love will fall short. I don't know where. I don't know when. I don't know how. But that love will certainly fall short. Why? Because it doesn't, have, it doesn't have the firm foundation of new birth in which God is constantly cultivating that love for him and then subsequently to other people uh, as we see in the scriptures. So we saw this morning that our love for God really is our duty. Uh, it's commanded in the scriptures as, as we saw and implied throughout the, the whole epistles that we would love God because of our new birth. Then we saw that it's our devotion, and that is that, that my will, my choices are engaged in what I do for God. And then lastly, we, we looked at that, that the love of God really should be my delight. My affections towards God are engaged in which I am, I am willing to do whatever it takes to please God and to, and to live for Him. Now tonight, I'd like to do the, the other commandment, and that is, uh, the second commandment that Jesus gave is that you love your neighbor as yourself. And that the, the same, really the same parameters are there. And that is, I have to think a certain way towards my neighbor. I have to act a certain way towards my neighbor. And I really have to have affections or feelings towards my neighbor in order to have genuine, genuine biblical love. So I would say the same parameters are true for my neighbor. And that is, it's our duty. It should be our devotion, and then it should be our delight as we love others. So look at the scriptures. It says, 1 John chapter 3, and look at verse 14. John says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. You see, the, the Apostle John is again rooting this idea of loving our neighbor as ourself in this idea of having life. 
I cannot genuinely love, biblically love my neighbor as myself unless God has done a work. And then a, a passage that we looked at this morning, probably just one page over, First John chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. So we see inside of the scriptures that that my love for others is rooted in the experience of God's spirit inside of my heart, that change that's there. So I cannot love others as I ought to without the work of regeneration. But we are also commanded to love our brothers. We do see that command, a central command given inside of the New Testament quite frequently. 1 John chapter 4, we're staying in, in 1 John for a few verses here. Just look up. First uh, John chapter 4 and verse 21 says, In this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So we, we don't see inside of the scriptures a separation between the two. You can't say that you love God and not love your neighbor as yourself. It's impossible. It's incompatible to say that. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of religious people out there. There are a lot of people that, that have some type of religious devotion to God. But the test case is always the same. Do they actually love their neighbor as themselves? Do they actually have a, a conduct of devotion, of delight towards the other person that is seeking their best interest? And one of the things that I brought up this morning and, and probably should be the most obvious to any of us is what is the best thing for your neighbor and what is the worst thing for your neighbor? What is that? See, oftentimes we would think, um, I know that in my neighborhood, probably no different than any neighborhood, there's issues. There's always issues. Uh, one, one just recently, uh, I can't make this stuff up, it's so, it's so crazy. But it's an interesting story. Uh, my my daughter, uh, I don't I don't have dogs. We had dogs for years, and we have a smaller home, and it's a lot of different reasons why we don't. But my daughter wants dogs, and we don't have them. Well, she had mentioned at one point there's a family in our church, uh, a newer family in our church that has chickens. My daughter was like, "Wouldn't that be cool to get some chickens?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." That would be that would be great. So, long story short, Daddy caved. We have chickens. Okay, we have seven chickens in our backyard right now. So, the, the, this family from our church gave us a, a chicken coop and uh, and then a run so that the little chicks can start to grow and, and that type of a deal. Well, the neighbor dog, okay, I mentioned dogs earlier, uh, probably caught some type of a smell at some point, hopped the fence, and got to the chickens. So my, my wife actually got home first. Uh, it was a, a school day just a few weeks ago. And her phone call to me was, they're dead. They're all dead. So I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So now there's more drama inside of, you know, the, the whole chicken thing. So the neighbor lady, um, I, I can't make this stuff up. It's, it's, it, this, this, I could put this into a, probably a tabloid at least, but. The dog had surgery and had, only has three legs. It had cancer, and the, the rear leg was actually removed. So the three-legged dog jumps the fence, 
gets into the chicken coop and wipes us out completely and totally. Well, the the lady next door, I don't know her, her spiritual status. I know the rest of my neighbors. So all eyes are on the Khan family. How are we going to respond to this whole deal? And my thought to my wife was, how are we supposed to respond to neighbor next door with the evil dog that wants to destroy everything and still and still be in line with the gospel, still show biblical love? Because at that point, there's not a lot of love flowing through my veins. There's a lot of, where's my shotgun? There's a lot of, uh, you know, not a big dog guy, so I, I don't have a lot of compassion for dogs. So there was a lot of that going on, but I had to keep on coming back to myself her greatest, her greatest need is Christ. That's the greatest need. Not having a good neighbor. Everybody wants good neighbors, but her greatest need isn't a good neighbor that just, oh, it's going to be all right. You've got an evil dog, but we'll just let this one go. Her greatest need is to actually see somebody living out the gospel. And then my wife and I are wrestling through, well, what does that actually look like? What does that look like? So when when uh, push came to shove, she actually came over and, and offered to pay a bunch of money for different things, and and we finally uh, we said, you know what, it's it's okay. And she she completely insisted on at least paying for the chickens that had gotten killed. And I said, all right, you know, you can pay for the the chickens, uh, thirty bucks for the chickens or something like that. But the idea that that I was trying to communicate to her, and she's Spanish speaking, so I can't really even say a word to her so my correspondence is through her granddaughter uh it's just it was it was crazy it really was crazy but my thought kept on coming back i know that i have a biblical mandate to love this lady and to show christ to this lady and in times like that that's really where the the rubber meets the road because you can't even make that stuff up but those are the types of things that happen i know that uh my next door neighbor Bernie, uh, almost—I mean, the whole garage almost got torched. This was years and years ago, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, he's all concerned, and and you know, a lot of things are going on and so forth. And and uh, I've had actually opportunities to pray with with Bernie and and with Sherry through the years, the different issues that have come up. But people's ultimate problem is not their garage burning down or dog issues or different things like that. The biggest issue is that they need Christ. And oftentimes, the only, the only way that they're going to actually see Christ is how we respond when, when the crucible is there, when, when different issues arise, when, when different issues come up. And I think that's what John is, is talking about here. My love for other people, and, and of course my love even for my brethren, my, my church members, my family in, in Christ, of course. But it transcends to, to outside of that to the point where am I willing to show this love? I'm commanded to do so. But what does that look like in each different circumstance, in each different situation that we see? So our love for others is evidenced really in our regeneration. It's the proof of our salvation. And we're commanded to do this from Christ as Christ really was the, the forerunner of that type of love. You remember the illustration that Jesus gave concerning the 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 Good Samaritan as a typical lawyer. So Jesus starts on, you know, so uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And the lawyer says, so who is my neighbor? You know, typical lawyer type of a question trying to dig even deeper into the thing to, 
prove his point. And Jesus gives the, the illustration of three individuals. You've got individuals that should have been willing to give care to the, the individual um, who, was, who was obviously in, in harm's way. You've got the, the issue that was there between the, the, the priest, the Levite, and then obviously the Samaritan himself. And the least likely of them out of all of them was the Samaritan. Why? They were the rejected ones. They were the ones that were ostracized in Israel. But Jesus used that as a powerful illustration. Who is my neighbor? The person, the person who has a need that I can actually meet reasonably. That I can actually show compassion to from my heart to be able to show them the love of Christ and to be able to prove that to them. So really, love for our neighbor, love for others, is our duty. It's something that's central to the very call of the gospel to us. It evidences the gospel, it shows our salvation, and it was definitely illustrated by Christ, both in his life and in his teaching. But secondly, notice, I'll have you turn over to Romans chapter 12, if you will. Romans chapter 12, we're going to spend some time here in Romans. Romans chapter 12, it's a very profound passage. This, this particular section in Romans is the Apostle Paul teaching uh, practical, practical ways of showing our salvation. Obviously, the, the book of Romans is laid out into two different sections, a doctrinal section, uh, doctrinal section uh, really chapters 1 through 11, and then the practical or application section, chapter 12 through 16. And he's just basically, from 12 on, just fleshing out what exactly does sanctification look like? What does my salvation lived out actually look at, uh, look like? So here the Apostle Paul shows us that my love for my neighbor really is the devotion that I should have towards them because of my relationship with God. So notice Romans chapter 12. Start reading in verse 10. Paul says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we see here the Apostle Paul fleshing out devotion to others. Um, Love, brotherly love, as he says here in verse 10. So the command to be devoted, the idea behind this command is the love a family shares with one another, an intimate type of a love that a person would have towards, uh, towards the person that, that they know the best. 
Uh, I'm sure that most most of you in here have siblings, and you were all kids at one point, okay? And you probably know where I'm going with this. Most siblings did not get along that well growing up, okay? Now, you kids, I'm sure do, for sure. But uh, me and my brother, and uh, Stacy knows my brother Keith, and a few others probably here know my brother Keith and, and my sister Holly. Me and my brother fought quite often. Uh, we were a little bit different in age, but we were pr- pretty competitive. He was a big basketball guy. I was not, uh, but he always wanted to play basketball, and I was always the little kid. Uh, he was always a lot better at basketball than myself, but I could elbow probably as good as anybody. I could uh, just, you know, the typical little brother, you know, the, he starts winning. I just walk off the court. You know, he's like, where are you going? I quit, you know, that that type of a deal. Then all of a sudden, you know, you get the basketball in the back of the head trick, you know, and that type of a deal. But I tell you what, we went to school together, and we were in the public school system together. And at times, the public school said, it's just a dog-eat-dog world. I mean, it just is what it is. Somebody messed with my brother or somebody messed with me. We would go home and fight like cats and dogs, but I tell you what, you messed with the family, the home team, and there was going to be a problem. And you're just like, how, how can that be? You know, how could you fight like that over, you know, really dumb things? but then stick up for one another because we're family. Because that's what families do. Now, does that always happen? I, I taught my, my boys and, and my daughter uh, years ago, and I, I use that, that phrase, home team. You stick up for one another. If somebody says something to your brother or to your sister, you say something. You stick up for them. Why? Because you need to evidence that type of love. And I know that they that they quarrel and fight and, and things like that. But I, I was trying to teach them that really, when you think about love for one another, where does it start? It starts at home. The, the main evidence of your love for God, even, is being evidenced on whether you can get along with your brother or your sister. Whether you're willing to let things go. Little things that, that tend to irritate or, or things like that. So really, this evidence of my, my devotion to my brother and my sister in Christ starts at home, starts with the family as we look at these things. So the command to be devoted, we are commanded by Paul here to be devoted to one another in love. But what does that look like? So Paul actually starts to flesh that out. What does devotion to one another in, in brotherly love actually look at? So we're going to look at several of these, these verses and try to understand some of the, the applications that Paul has in mind. Verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Give preference to one another in honor. The idea here is to outdo one another by showing the worth of the other person. Outdoing one another. Uh, There's a sense in which, and it's kind of one of those paradoxes that's difficult, but you're supposed to be uh, selfishly ambitious in outdoing your brother in loving your brother. You're like, wait a second. Wouldn't that be selfish? In a sense, yeah. But it's not. Because your focus is on who? You can't, you can't outdo these things. And that is, so, uh, you know, with, with my brother in particular, and, and again, we, we would quarrel from time to time. 
if I stayed playing the basketball game that I was getting destroyed in. That's outdoing him. In the sense that I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to lose 40 to 2. But I stayed because he loves the game. He wants to he wants to be there. So my giving of my time towards my brother is actually preferring him and honoring him and doing those types of things that perhaps I wouldn't even even want to do. I know that there are times, and uh, I think all of us have this uh, this dilemma from time to time. Um, I, as a teacher, there there are students that are difficult, and there are students' parents that are more difficult. And at times, I was taught um, my my boss, Dr. Hubbard, the principal of the school, teaches us don't answer an email quickly. Now, I want to. I want to. I get the email. Oftentimes, I, there at Inner City, I've got different roles, and one of the roles is I actually uh, lock up the, the church building in the, in the high school. I've been doing that since I was cleaning back in the day. Um, so I, I held on to that. I, I can continue to do it. So oftentimes what I'll do, I'll be locking the church in the high school up at 10, 1030 at night, and inevitably I'll go into my office and I'll check my email. At times, that's a dilemma, because typically, what are you at 10:30, 11 o'clock at night? You're tired, and then you get that email from that parent. And oftentimes, I found myself I've got I've got the whole email written out. It's ready to ready to hit send. And I remember my boss saying, "Never send it in emotion." Uh, Jennifer remembers this as a, as a teacher as well. At times, you, you want to send that. And almost, almost like I'm going to get this person. I'm going to, I'm going to turn the tables type of a deal. But that's not preferring that person in honor. It's not actually being devoted to them in brotherly love, giving preference to them, because oftentimes we don't want to give other people the benefit of the doubt. Emails, emails are interesting. You can't see eye movements or facial expressions with emails or with text. I love the I love the McDonald's commercial. Have you heard this one? The 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 young lady bring fries. We need to talk. And they go through these four or five different scenarios of this young lady. She sounds angry. She sounds you know desperate. She sounds you know romantic. She you know all these different things. Why? Because because the text only shows a certain thing. So oftentimes you know the the email I read through the email. I don't I don't send it immediately. And oftentimes I'll just call the parent in. We need to talk. Bring fries. You know, to make make sure that uh, you come to my office with fries and everything will be fine. But that that really is the idea: is preferring one another. It shows up in different ways at different times uh, with the people that we are supposed to be loving and ministering to. Then the apostle Paul says, <clears throat> look down at verse thirteen. Another example here. Verse 13 says, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, practicing hospitality. So contributing to the needs of the saints, we are to sacrifice our time and resources to meet the other, the needs of the other person. Now, can everybody actually do that? Can, can everybody actually give to other people's needs? And, and I tell my kids, obviously as an adult, if you see somebody who has a need, you it's it's much easier to give to that need in, in different ways. 
but trying to teach a kid to give up money at the at the lunch table when the kid across them forgot theirs that's a whole different story why cuz kids tend to be it's mine so trying to get kids to think outside of the box and to think about contributing to the needs of other people to sacrifice their time or their money towards the other person is really where this is. Contributing to the needs of other people, also practicing hospitality, reaching out to the needs of other people, reaching out to those, those individuals who, who obviously are having an issue, a problem. Now, I don't, in, inside of my personality, I don't actually tend to be uh, a pretty compassionate guy. I, I don't know why I, I'm a get over it type of a guy I you know when when kids come in I find myself you know at times kids having different issues and so forth I try to logic the whole situation well just do this 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 and this and everything will be fine you know see you later have a good day but empathy and compassion oftentimes are what people need that's the need of the moment at, at that particular time so there, there are times where I look at, you know, practicing hospitality, having, having somebody come in, meeting a basic need of just listening to them, listening to them pour their heart out or praying with them, those types of things, as we see here. So practicing hospitality, contributing to the needs of the saints, seeing needs as they are, as we understand those things. Then we also see in verse 15, it says they rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So rejoice. Share in the joys of other people. Being, being excited for the victories of other people. And not being, uh, all of us know these types of people. You know, you get, a brand, you get the brand new car. And you're excited about it. You're pumped about it. And you show it to your friend, or you, you pull up in church, you got the brand new car, and what's their, their idea? It's going to break down. You know, why'd you go with that color? Are you really, are, do you get good gas mileage with that vehicle? You're just like, uh, great, you know, all right, talk to you later. You know? uh, it's, it's frustrating. Why? Because oftentimes, inside of the mindset, rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep, are just being around real people and trying to encourage real people in real-life situations, whether that be in victories, whether that be in exciting times, or whether that be in, in gloomy times, where the people just need uh, perhaps somebody to, to listen to them or somebody to be there for them. Or just a, a quick, tell you what, uh, and, and I don't know about you and, and what uh, helps you the most, but through different trials uh, that we've gone through as a family in the last five to ten years, uh, just that quick text, praying for you. Not the, if there's anything that we can do for you, you know, let us know. How are you supposed to say, yeah, I need a million dollars. I don't know what to say, you know. Yeah, you know, just just a quick text we're thinking about you. Or, or the people that just show up and, and give you uh, give you something. You know, they bring a meal over. You, you didn't ask for it. Um, those, those types of things are definitely contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, rejoicing with those who rejoice, and weeping with those who weep. Then he says in verse 16, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, 
but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. My mind should always seek to think correctly toward the other person and also correctly about myself. It is always easier to think higher of ourselves. Easy to do that. But here the Apostle Paul is calling us to have, have a, a mindset towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind. Really think correctly towards the person who you are supposed to be loving, that person who, who obviously you're ministering to in that sense. The Apostle Paul fills in many other things. There's many other examples, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, serving others, rejoicing, persevering, devoted to prayer, and so forth. But the ones in particular that apply to other people and my relationship to other people are being seen here, and it would be it would be good for us to be considering. Now, I don't know that I can illustrate and apply each of them because everybody's different and every situation is different. But the principle and the commands never change. The, the command to be devoted, the command to be correctly related to those individuals as we, as we see in the scriptures. And then third, my love for my neighbor should be my delight. It's not just my duty. It's not just my devotion. It should be my delight as we see. Notice, I'll have you turn over to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, if you will. 1 Peter chapter 4. Arguably one of the more difficult passages to to wrestle through application-wise. 1 Peter chapter 4, notice verse 8. Peter says, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. The, the issue of fervency in my love, my affections, my, my zeal towards another person should be high. It should be cultivated. It shouldn't be stagnant. And one of the greatest evidences is whether my love is fervent towards the other person is am I willing to let sins go? Am I willing to let things go? If we were to count up in a week how often we've been sinned against by anybody, unbeliever, believer, family member, how high could that number go in any given week? How many times are we selfish? We say that selfish word to our spouse. What if our spouse took issue with it every single time that we did that? How often does our spouse have to let it go? Not say anything. Okay, That's love covering a multitude of sins. It's easy to jump on things. It's easy to vindicate yourself. Um, the corrector. Have you ever known these types of, of folks? Everything you say... If you don't say it completely and totally correctly, you will be corrected. We need to learn to let things go. At the end of the day, when we are, when we are relating with other people, the Apostle Peter says that our, our fervent love towards the other person actually has a capacity to let sins go that they've actually committed against us. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul actually labels for us what love is. And one of the specific things that, that Paul says to us is that love keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't keep the list. In marriage, that shows up quite often, does it not? Well, three months ago, you said this. Do you still believe that? And if the spouse was on her toes or on his toes, what, what should they say? You're keeping a list? I thought the Bible says that you shouldn't do that. Well, I don't have the list. Well, yeah, you do in your mind. You haven't let it go. You, haven't, you have not let love cover that. And at times, now we don't, have the, we don't have the authority to forgive a sin. Only Jesus can do that, and we've learned that from the Scriptures. The Apostle Peter is not saying that you have the ability uh, to be a, like a priest, like a Catholic priest giving absolution to the person. You know, I absolve this sin. You are no longer culpable for this sin. That's not what Peter is teaching here. He's teaching that when somebody sins against us, as Christ said, Lord, do, you know, forgive the, these people. They don't know what they're doing. Don't, don't lay this on their charge. He had a forgiving spirit. He had a love for those individuals even at the point of of his own death. So we should have a fervency in love that causes me to overlook the weaknesses and sins of the person loved. And then secondly, we should recognize our deep need and concern for fellow Christians and not a fake attitude of concern. Isn't that easy to do? Praying for you. How often have you heard that? How many times have you said that and totally forgot about it? The next time you see the person, so thanks for praying. You're welcome. You're welcome. And then you have to go to your spouse and say, what were we praying for that we didn't pray for? Okay. Genuine, genuine concern actually does take into consideration those things and is genuinely concerned about them genuinely concerned about them to the point where I know that when and oftentimes I'll have kids in class my policy is and maybe maybe this is somewhat hypocritical I don't know they'll come to me after class and say you know such and such happened as they're leaving the room I pray for them as they're leaving because I know what's going to happen three days later so did you pray for my dad or you pray for my dad's job interview or something like that sure did how did it go Why? Because the the idea of having a deep concern for fellow Christians and not not faking it in that sense is something that all of us struggle with, but all of us should be concerned about. Uh, Turn over to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul actually gives us a strong illustration of, of this type of individual. Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all of the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. A deep concern. And notice how that was evidenced. It was evidenced in his prayer. It was shown in his his level of prayers for those individuals 
that ultimately that they would stand perfect, that they would be mature in Christ. So his deep concern was, was for them to be able to reflect upon their need and their deepest need of growth in Christ. And then third, we need to accept the idea that genuine love always seeks the best interest of the one loved. We are all in the in the process of learning what love is. The the ideas of genuine biblical love towards another person is a process. It's not something that comes immediately. I think um, I don't know, maybe this is too personal, I don't know, but my wife and I fight. We we disagree on things. We disagree on a lot of different things. And when you introduce children into the mix, all of a sudden you've got more conflict in a home than you can possibly contain in a day. It just is what it is. There's there's more emotion, and emotion is one of those things where it's so elusive, you don't you don't even know how to catch it. You don't even know what's going on. You know, you know and me not being a very... You know, my wife will be upset about something or even crying about something. I'm like, why are you crying? You know, that that goes over well. Because I don't, it, it's hard for me. I don't do drama. I don't, you know, it's always, maybe I, sh- I should have been in sociology or something. Because I love to observe kids at like a lunch table and how they interact with one another. I love why, because I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. You know, even Solomon said that. One of the most difficult things to understand in life in the book of Ecclesiastes is, you know, the, what is it, the flight of the eagle? And then what was the illustration? Uh, man with his wife. As a general observation, it's, that's tough stuff. So inner dynamics in a home, the way, that, the way that we love each other, we should be seeking the best interest of the person that's loved. Now, what exactly does that look like? At times, it means confronting the person. The best thing, and I find myself with my children, oftentimes, finding that balance of when to let things go and when to confront them. Which ones are biblical issues and which ones are just, you know, at times just weird idiosyncrasies. You know, which one, which one do you go after and which one do you not? And at times, I know that, uh, you know, I'm a inconsistent father and at times just downright uh, uh, just bad father at times. I feel, I feel that way. But there are, there are times, and my wife and I talk about this a lot, when it comes to biblical truth, very clear biblical truth, you can't let those things go. Uh, the other day, it was interesting, my, my three boys went uh, to a camp they go to a camp in uh, West Virginia, and the whole week is, uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Appalachian uh, Bible College, ABC, out, out in uh, West Virginia. They have a, a subsidiary ministry in which they run a camp, and they do caving and you know, whitewater rafting, all these different things. And my kids love it. They think it's the coolest thing ever. They love being out in West Virginia in the mountains and doing the rock climbing and caving and so forth. But they came home, we were on the paper route, and my one son, if you knew my Justin, the kid will eat anything that you put in front of him. He's not a picky kid, he just, it it doesn't matter what it is. It could be broccoli, burnt broccoli with cheese and what, it don't matter, he'll eat it, it's fine. My other two have always been very picky eaters, ever since, 
and and you know some families that's a hill to die on for my family for my wife and I I'm just like just get a peanut butter and it's fine just you know you got to eat just go eat so we're in the van and my two younger boys uh, were venting on how bad the food was this time around and just wouldn't let it go so finally you know I'm listening I'm listening my son Justin is like it's the best food I've ever had what are you talking about you know I don't I don't understand what in the world you're saying right now. The other two, oh, you know, this, it's the same, and they're going on. And I was like, fellas, let me ask you a question. How are you showing thankfulness in your heart to what God actually gave to you? I didn't I didn't pull the old, you know, there are kids in, you know, starving and wherever. I didn't pull that number. All of us have done that probably at one time or another. But I didn't pull that. I just said, how are you showing thanks for what the, what the Lord gave to you? silence because they knew that they were wrong i said uh i said you know it's easy to grumble and complain about things that we don't like it's very difficult to just be thankful for what the lord gives to us and that's really what all of us need so the loving thing at that point and it was one of those things i thought it was a very biblical very clear biblical thing you know do all things without grumbling and, and disputing without complaining and disputing so I took that opportunity to talk with the boys because I thought that it was it was the best thing for them because I don't want a kid later on that makes excuses and, and you know, complains about their boss and complains about their job and complains about all these. I don't want that cultivated in their heart because it's easy to do, but I, I don't want that. So when it when it's a biblical issue, a very clear biblical issue, there definitely should be a confrontation. And that is a loving, a loving thing. Love always seeks to unify rather than to tear down. It always seeks to unify rather than to, to tear down. Just read this, this passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul says, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. The, the term here, affection, carries the Hebrew idea of tenderness and compassion. The innermost part of our being is affected, uh, what does the old King James say, bowels of compassions. And the reason that it translates that is in the Hebrew idea it is a, uh, an innermost part, really the soul of that person uh, being affected with, with the, the needs of others and the love that they would have towards another person. So we, we seek to unify rather than to tear down. It affects us internally. It affects really the very, the very essence of our soul towards the other person. And then our genuine spiritual growth is evidenced in our love for one another. Coming back to a, a reference that, that we uh, mentioned this morning, what is the fruit of the Spirit? The very first fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, and there's a reason for that, because love really is the, is the, the finalization of all of the commandments of God. When, when, when God says, love God, and love your neighbor as yourself, there is no law over love. 
Love is a completion of the law. There is no commandment. There is no, there is no issue that's out there. When love is being exercised, there is harmony. There is peace. There is, there is unity. There is uh, a, a growth. There is a, uh, a, a look at life that is what life should be like when we're willing to look at love and loving our neighbor as ourself. So this evening, as, as we looked at this morning, God commands love for himself and for others. Well, how does that, what does that look like? Our love for God should be our duty, it should be our devotion, and it should be our delight, as well as our neighbor. I, I have a duty to love. I'm commanded to love. It should be my devotion. It shows up. I'm going to actively do certain things for that person. And then it should affect my soul. The very most part of me should be engaged in loving that person as myself. So are we willing to have that type of love for one another as a church body? Are you willing to have that love for one another as a family? Are you willing to sacrifice for each other? Are you willing to show your love for God as you evidence it in your love for others? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for your word and how clearly it teaches us. I pray, Father, that you would help us to apply this in different ways to our own hearts. Father, it's difficult to love. It can only be done through your spirit. So I pray, Lord, for an extra work of your spirit in our souls, that we would love each other as we ought to, and that we would love you supremely. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.